available, an email is automatically sent to the first registrant on the wait list, giving them a set amount of time to claim their spot. Learn more at www.activenetwork.com forward slash ACA. Welcome to the Camp Warrior Podcast. My name is Lauren McMillan. I am ACA's Public Relations and Communications Manager. And today we are joined by Therese Cologne. She is with the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, which is an independent nonprofit committed to building a sport community where participants can work and learn together free of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse and misconduct. Jerice Cologne is the Chief Executive Officer of the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, where since July she has led the organization's strategic vision and direction. Before her center tenure, Jerice served as National Vice President of Child and Club Safety for the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, developing and leading the child safety policies and initiatives for over 1,100 U.S. Boys and Girls Clubs organizations and nearly 4,300 Boys and Girls Clubs locations. Prior to that, Jury served as Executive Director of Prevention and Outreach for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, NCMEC, leading prevention and education programs related to child abduction and sexual exploitation and their delivery to children, families, and the public. Jury was with NCMEC for 15 years. An experienced child advocate who serves as an expert on issues related to child safety, Jerice has led prevention and outreach initiatives with youth serving organizations serving families, educators, law enforcement, and diverse communities. She earned bachelor's degrees in criminal justice in Spanish from Virginia Commonwealth University. Additionally, she is in her third year as a member of the board of directors for ACA. Jerice, welcome to the Camp Wire podcast. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Wonderful. So let's get started by learning a bit more about your background. As the listeners just heard, you have quite an extensive background. I would love to learn more about what inspired you to take on this kind of career path. I don't think it's something that people often think of, uh, but it is nonetheless incredibly important and something that I think our population is becoming increasingly more and more aware of. And even though it's not the most wonderful topic in the world. It is important and it's, it's great that there is this, this comfortability with bringing these issues to light. So I'll hand the floor over to you. Let's hear more about your background and what led you to through your career and ultimately to safe sport. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, it was, it's been quite the journey. Um, certainly not where I thought I was going to be. In fact, when I started college, I was a, a chemical engineering major. Um, so who knows what I'd be doing if I was stuck with that. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I was in high school, I guess that's where the story starts. When I was in high school, um, I grew up in a town, uh, Spotsylvania County, Virginia, um, which is about an hour south of, of D.C. Um, and when I was in, I guess, my junior year, we had these really three really high profile abductions and murders Um, and they happened right down the street and uh, one of the girls went to school with my was in classes with my little sister Um, their mom was my mom's nursing instructor so it was it really hit close to home and I remember um, following the story and, you know, as they were trying to figure out who had done this horrific thing and as the years went on and, and leads, you know, were, were kind of sent in, um, you know, at another another murder had happened. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children um, was ultimately responsible for connecting all the dots and finding the person responsible for this. Wow. Um, I found it was really fascinating. And, you know, I learned more about the organization. And when I graduated, I was kind of like, well, I was, didn't really know what I was going to do. And it turns out that they were headquartered right down the street from me. And I was like, well, let me check this place out because it sounds kind of cool. And so I started working there um, and my first job at NCMEC was uh, answering phones um, uh, Had the worst shift, <laughs> 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, in that time, I, I spent, you know, two years or so listening to parents because I was the first the first phone call many of them had made when their kids went missing or that there were uh, suspicions of, of sexual abuse or online exploitation. Um, and it was a really tough job and one that, you know, was really hard to do because you're thinking about that all the time. 
um, and you're hearing like just some really painful moments. And while I, I couldn't survive doing that for a, a lot longer, what I did know was that I wanted to stay in this space and I wanted to find something else that I could do to help contribute. And so I moved around the organization. Um, I did a bunch of different departments, kind of learned a lot. And ultimately uh, I left as executive director um, of outreach prevention education, where we were developing um, really cutting edge um, internet safety programming for kids K through 12 and educators and law enforcement, um, doing a lot of outreach to communities that were underserved and underreporting um, uh, missing children, um, and really helping the organization communicate some of that stuff. And so I was there for 15 years. Um, that led me to my role uh, at Boys and Girls Clubs of America, which, um, you know, there I was responsible for managing all the safety for 4,000 plus um, locations across the United States um, and abroad, many of them, you know, with direct ties to um, communities and camps, right? Uh, so BGCA ran a lot of camps, a lot of sports camps, um, did a lot of sports. And, you know, as I, as I made my way through there, developing policies and really helping clubs kind of come along um, and really improve safety, um, this wonderful opportunity at the Center for Safe Sport came open. And while I hated leaving Boys and Girls Clubs because I love them so much, um, and there's just something about walking into uh, a space where, you know, youth development is a focus that just kind of warms your heart, right? And so, but this position was just a little bit too good for me to pass up. Um, and I think it, it really um, combined a lot of the things that I had been doing when I was at NICMIC and then also at Boys and Girls Clubs, um, but just only in the sports space. And it was something that the organization, you know, was is the first of its kind in this country and in this world. Um, so being able to kind of lead that and, and chart a new path and really help to make sports safer, I was on board. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. And it is interesting that Safe Sport has only been around since 2017. So it's a relatively young organization. And it's amazing that and in some ways surprising that something like this has not existed previously. Could you speak a bit more about what ultimately brought about the creation of Safe Sport and why, why now? Why over the past handful of years? And what have you seen Safe Sport do in terms of their role in making a difference in either bringing to light different abuse situations or how they're making an impact on the industry at large? Yeah, so, you know, it was overdue for sure. Um, when we opened in 2017, just to put the timeline in perspective, Larry Nasser was sitting in jail. Um, and so for, for, you know, he had been there, so I think since like 2016 or so. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a center for state sport for the Olympic and Paralympic movement was, had been circulating apparently for a decade or so. Um, and I just don't think that people were, were pushing hard enough to actually make it, make it happen. Um, but when the gymnastics scandal happened, um, and, and, and it came out that he'd abused so many women, I think people were like, all right, now is the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we opened our doors in, in March of 2017. In 2018, um, the Safe Sport Authorization Act was passed, which basically gave us the authority to have jurisdiction over the US OPC and then 55 or so national governing bodies that represent Olympic sports. And so with from there, and at the time, I guess when we opened, we had about four employees or so. And so, you know, we didn't really know what to expect. expect. No one really did. Um, someone told me once that they thought that the center might get about 60 reports a year. Um, and so we were funded for 60 reports a year. Um, we got like 300 that first year and we were only wow. open for nine months. <laughs> My goodness. Um, fast forward to today, we're getting over 100 reports a week. Um, and so, you know, since then, after the Authorization Act passed, there was another bill that passed in 2020, the Empowering Olympic and Amateur Athletes Act of 2020, um, that further codified our jurisdiction and our ability to audit organizations to make sure that the policies that we put in place, the education that we're requiring, they were actually implementing that on the ground. Um, and so, you know, it's been an interesting five years because you're right, there was no other organization.
organization that had been charged with doing it. So we had to sort of build the plane or flying it, you know, um, but it has been um, in my eyes, I think, you know, a, a success story um, because we, there was certainly a need. We had to develop something from the ground up. Um, we had to move a lot of people, right? Because there are at any given time, you know, about 11 to 14 million people who exist within the Olympic and Paralympic umbrella um, and having the ability to one, take allegations of abuse, right? Because that was something that no one no one had done before. Um, they were being handled internally or not handled at all. People didn't know where to go. Maybe they're going to law enforcement, but the statute of limitations had run out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, was something that was certainly needed and is still unfortunately needed today, right? I mean, right. Um, you know, we're again, we're up to 100 reports um, a week. Um, so that tells me a few things, right? That one, abuse is still very pervasive. Um, but two, the education that we are all doing collectively um, is starting to work, right? It's mm-hmm. working because people know that there's a place to report um, and they know what to report, right? Um, a lot of the reports that we get come from third-party um, reporters, so witnesses, um, people who have heard things, people who have seen things, um, and those, of course, who have experienced things. Um, and now there's a place for that to, for those reports to be taken seriously um, and to be investigated, and ultimately, you know, removing people from sport that should not be allowed to interact with with athletes, particularly our, our youth athletes. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting that a lot of those reports are coming from third-party individuals. I mean, how brave of them, first of all, to have the courage to even say something, but then to take it as far as they are by bringing it to you all. I just think that's so courageous. And it seems like there's maybe this stigma of like, oh, snitches get stitches or whatever it is. But I think that is such a powerful cultural shift in, in actually taking on the, like, if you see something, say something and not letting these things slide and not letting justice go unserved and and finding that prevention and letting that education spread and letting people know that that something needs to be done. And that's exactly what you all are doing. I think that's incredible. Yeah, thank you. It has been, um, there's still a lot of work to do, right? Um, right. Because again, we're getting a lot of reports um, and you know, by all accounts are probably not gonna go down anytime soon, but at the same time, we're using that information to develop quality educational content. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is going to be, you know, the, the real push in order for this culture change to really take effect. And, and I do believe that because sport is just such, such an important part of our lives in this country, um, that what we do is really charting a path forward for other entities, right, in other industries, and how they look at and respond to abuse, whether it's in schools or religious institutions or youth serving organizations, you know, we're being used as a model. And I think that's just fantastic, because we need more of that. Mm-hmm. And all of those avenues that you just mentioned, schools, religious organizations, and then youth programs, a lot of those are places where, where people go for summer camps and camp programs. And when this podcast comes out, we're on the very brink of the start of the summer camp season. So uh, I know fun activities and sports, those are all things that come to my mind when I think about summer camps. And so could you speak to what Safe Sport is doing in terms of working with summer camp, whether it's their camp directors with staff, preparing camp families, what steps are being taken for those types of organizations and programs, which a lot of them are youth organizations. So it's right up your all's alley. But um, in what ways is Safe Sport working with a lot of these summer camp programs to help A, with prevention of, of any level of abuse, um, but B, to provide that education and that outreach? Well, it's interesting because there's a lot of overlap right, with mm-hmm. youth serving, right, youth serving, religious uh, schools, lots of overlap of people, of process, um, and, and of activities. And, and many people who go to summer camps, who are working at summer camps, you know, during the, during the rest of the year, they may be serving as coaches for their local basketball team, or they may be, you know, athletes in another sport. And so that we tend to have jurisdiction over some of those people, right? And so um, for those folks, you know, they're required to take, say, sport core training, which is, you know, super important to help identify, respond, and of course, report to abuse. But I think when it comes to camps, there's been so much work that's been done um, at the local level for years, right, to really ensure that kids are safe at camp. Um, it's, you know, overnight camps or day camps really doesn't matter, but that safety is always going to be treated, number one. And I think that's why I love the um, ACA accreditation process so much, right, because it really has safety kind of woven into it. Because I think for a long time, people were really focused on, well, I did a background check, so I'm good, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
No, not exactly. <laughs> um, and there's just so much more. And so, you know, really trying to help inform policies, procedures, um, how you're interacting and hiring um, summer staff, right, who may not be familiar, right, with what with, with the rules are, right, might, might, may not be familiar with policies, maybe new to camp, um, maybe new to this country, right? A lot of um, camp professionals come from other countries during the summer to work. Um, so it's really about making sure that those folks um, who are coming in um, and looking at and interacting with kids have the right tools. And I think that camp, you know, provides an excellent way um, and mechanism for um, for either full-time staff or part-time seasonal staff, um, parents, kids to really focus in on, you know, the, the fun part of camp, right? Which is getting to know each other and find yourself and all these wonderful things that happened, but also to, to be reminded that safety has to always be at the forefront, right? And uh, the things that the camps are doing right now are, are you know, really impressive. Um, when it comes to um, ensuring that kids are, are, are safe, there's always more work to be done, right? But I think that, you know, one of the, the, the cool things that, that I like about ACA is that, you know, they're always looking for ways and people to partner with, right? Because, you know, ACA is really good at camp um, and, you know, but maybe they're not good at something else, right? And so you find these really interesting partners to kind of work together so that, you know, that we can, make camps better and really prepare people for that start of the season, right? Because especially now where kids may have not even been able to go to camp for the last two years because of COVID, mm -hmm. right? And so that's, that adds a whole nother layer to that. So um, I think that the partnerships that, you know, that ACA has, and then certainly with organizations like mine um, are really important, right? Because you want to be able to cover all your bases, but you also want to be making sure that you're getting information and resources and training, et cetera, from quality organizations that you know you can trust. Um, and I think that that's part of like the, the kind of the, what the, the underside, right, of the beauty of camp, um, because it is a really beautiful thing um, to just see kids, you know, finally one, get back together again in person, mm -hmm. um, which is very exciting. But to know that when you drop your kid off for the day or the week or the month or the summer, that they're going to be well taken care of and that, you know, that someone's always looking out for their safety and here's how they've been trained. Right. Absolutely. Speaking of COVID. In what ways, I'm curious to know what kind of impact COVID had on the work that SafeSport is doing. And I mean, I have no idea what that could have possibly even looked like, but maybe you can speak to what, what impact, what differences the challenges that COVID presented made. And I know that a lot of programs were canceled altogether. I don't know what, um, if you all saw anything move into the virtual space. We know that online bullying is certainly a problem. And I think that often kind of the abuse side of the internet is something that people don't talk about as often as they should. So I'm very curious to hear from you what Safe Sports saw as a result of COVID and maybe what is an ongoing challenge because of it. Yeah. So COVID was, I mean, I mean, it was, it was impactful for everyone on this planet and um, sports was no different. And, you know, in March of 2020, when the world shut down, so did sport. Um, and, you know, a lot of kids were accessing sports through schools um, or through, you know, parks and rec and other, but they just couldn't get together anymore. And so we saw some really innovative ways to keep people training, right? Because you could still, I mean, there was all these videos circulating right before the Olympics, right? Well, the Olympics were supposed to happen in 2020 mm -hmm. uh, of athletes like training in their swimming pools or creating all of these like uh, obstacle courses in their backyard and like all those stories. It was a really fun thing to see. And it got old really quick though, right? Like right. enough already. We want to get back in person. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what we saw was this interesting transition and shift to a lot of online virtual spaces, just like work was, right? So as an organization, all of our employees went home, right? They're still home. Um, and so we were doing everything by Zoom. And so now, it, you know, flashing back to March 2020, 2020 April or so, um, you know, people were doing coaching sessions online. People were doing training sessions online, recording them, sending them later. Um, and we saw a lot of shift into the virtual space, which was a good thing because we wanted to get people still engaged. Mm -hmm. But it also, you know, allowed for 
more like easier private access to kids, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, let's say that you were, you had a coach and you're on a, you know, lacrosse team or something and you are, you know, interacting with your coach, you know, with everybody else around because you were there. And now you're getting, you know, text messages or IMs or just direct messages from your coach because there's nobody else around. And mm -hmm. so we saw that that was becoming an issue. Um, and because we've been in this sort of virtual hybrid space for now two years, that hasn't gone away. Um, and so, you know, when we developed and released our last round of policy updates, we really wanted to strengthen the areas around communications um, because it, what we were seeing was that there was just a lot of unfettered access um, to minors in particular um, through mobile and just, you know, technology. And so that was problematic for, for us. And we did get, you know, quite a number of reports that were really focused in on um, online abuse, bullying, grooming, um, things that tend to lead to abuse in person, right? Mm -hmm. And so really trying to kind of curb that. But, you know, now that sport is pretty much back um, and in full swing. Um, I, you know, that that part has gotten a little bit less right than what we were seeing in the early parts of COVID. Um, but unfortunately, we're still getting a lot of reports about abuse. Um, you know, again, good news is that people are actually reporting. Um, but you know, COVID certainly slowed us down. And I will say that, like, I think when when COVID first hit. I think people thought, oh, well, sports over. So you guys must be bored over there. <laughs> You're not getting any reports. No. <laughs> Our <laughs> for that first month or that first quarter rather, and they have not gone down since. Wow. Um, so, yeah. That's so interesting. I think one of the beautiful things about summer camp and the majority of camps, of course, there are so many different camp programs and exceptions to this. But for the most part, when we think about camp, we think about a break from technology. And I think that is so healthy for our, our kids, not just for their physical health and getting outside and being immersed in nature, but also for the mental and the emotional aspect of it. Um, so, but with, but thinking about that, I'm wondering if this, if maybe you've seen a correlation between, or any kind of carryover between after these kids have spent so much time online and maybe it is with interacting with their coaches or with, with other athletes in that regard. And if there's been a carryover to their in-person interaction, maybe it's if they're, I don't know, if there are any behavioral changes, if there's anything that you all are seeing from safe sport, anything like that. Well, I mean, I think the whole world experienced a behavioral change mm -hmm. right during COVID. Um, the isolation was really tough for people, including myself. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think people are having to learn social skills again that they <laughs> had to kind of put away for two years, uh -huh. um, dusting those off. Um, but part of that is just how to interact with people, how to manage your anger. Um, and, you know, what we've seen is just, you know, and just anecdotally is that people are just not nice to each other. Um, and it's gotten, it's gotten worse, right? People are just evil, like not evil, they're angry. Um, and they are mean to each other. And so we've seen, and it could be part of, because of COVID, maybe not, but you know, since in the last two years, we've seen an increase in the reports that we're getting around emotional and physical abuse, right? Because people are just terrible to each other sometimes. Um, and, you know, when you're in a developmental stage, like if you're a high school student, right, you're still trying to grow and kind of figure yourself out and how to interact with people and what's socially acceptable and not. Um, that two years of kind of isolation and doing schools on Zoom, um, I think, um, has had a significant impact on kids' ability to kind of manage all of that. Um, and so we're seeing that not only between, again, you know, adults on adults, but, you know, kids on kids um, and just being more mean than usual, right? right. <laughs> I think about like mean girls, right? <laughs> um, and it's just like, it's like mean girls, like elevated to like the nth degree mm -hmm. um, where, you know, real harm is coming to, um, to kids because of this, I don't know, just this inability to, to be kind to one another, mm -hmm. um, which again is why I'm so excited for summer camp season, right? Because that's one of the, the core tenets of, of camp. You go there to make new friends. And, um, and I think it, it teaches kids compassion and kindness 
um, in a different way. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll bounce back, not only for, for kids, but just for as a nation. Um, I am because I'm kind of sick of reading news reports about people being angry to like wait staff and bus drivers and flight attendants and <laughs> like all of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious to know, do you see an intersection between cancel culture and the abuse reports that you all get? Not really, right? I mean, the people ask me all the time, you know, does it is is it do you get a lot of reports about people who are making stuff up, right? Just to kind of get back at someone or mm-hmm. because they didn't get on a team or something. That rarely happens. Um, you know, one, we put it, there's a provision in the safe sport code that allows us to investigate those sorts of things um, to make sure that, you know, the, the process isn't being weaponized against people. Um, so, you know, most of the reports that we get, like the vast majority of them are, you know, reports that people want are experiencing, right? This is what's happened to me. Um, or people, who, again, who have witnessed it. Um, and we don't see a lot of, oh, I just made this up because I wanted to get back at my coach for choosing someone else. Um, so we, I don't, we don't see a whole lot of that. Okay. Yeah. What would you say are some of the greatest challenges, either from your all's perspective within Safe Sport or perhaps with some of these individuals or organizations that are seeing abuse happening and making reports and thinking about, as people prepare to go to summer camp, what are some of the challenges that you think they come across most often? And either how can you all step in and help them overcome those challenges to help these people out? What are some of the greatest challenges that y'all are seeing? Well, I think, you know, one, it's just sheer volume. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've just, again, if we're getting a hundred plus reports a week, you know, those are from 55 sports, right? But that doesn't include a lot of sports. It doesn't include like cheer. It doesn't include lacrosse. It doesn't include, you know, sports that you're not going to see at an Olympics. Um, And so, you know, I think that there's just a lot of abuse out there and, you know, people are doing, you know, a fairly good job, certainly has increased over the last several years of starting to understand what abuse looks like. Because if you'd asked me that question five years ago, it'd be like people don't understand what abuse looks like, right? Mm-hmm. So I think people are, are understanding what sexual abuse looks like. We're still struggling with people to understand the difference between emotional abuse, right? And just being mean, um, because there is a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I think that's a, that's a struggle and a challenge for people to kind of grasp like what that means and what that looks like. Um, but it's also, you know, where do you report it, right? Because sure, the Center for State Board has jurisdiction over 11 to 14 million people, but there are a lot more people than that in this country, right? So what happens if I see this? And I need, I'm not part of the Olympic movement, right? I'm not part of this umbrella. You know, where do I go to report? Do I call police because someone's being emotionally abusive? Are they going to hang up on me? Like, what does that look like? Am I going to get somebody in trouble that shouldn't be? Like, they're just, you know, maybe I didn't see what I thought I saw or heard, you know? So I think it's about people understanding where to like actually report some of these things that are happening. Um, And when you have environments like camps, you know, where they're kind of closed, right, there's usually some sort of like chain of command on how to how to report it first, you know, I would venture to to assume that everyone who's involved in a camp um, is a mandatory reporter, right, so helping them understand how to make those mandatory reports. Um, and in some states, it's not that simple. Um, you know, some states will have just one place. States like California have dozens, right? So getting them to help to understand, you know, how and where to make those reports is probably the biggest thing for us right now. Um, and the probably the biggest challenge I would say is like phase is, you know, when you're um, at, at camp, when, it, when you think about safety. Um, the other piece, though, is, you know, how do you help to make sure that you are bringing on the right people, mm-hmm. right? To and I think this is something that every youth organization has struggled with forever, right? Is picking the right people, um, and so you know, th- and, and thinking beyond the background check, right? Um, it's not that's not going to keep us all safe, right? That's just it's proven. <laughs> it's a piece of the puzzle, but it's not going to it's not going to be a total game changer. Mm-hmm. So really focusing in on and making sure that especially now when you have such a limited pool of workers, right? People are struggling to fill positions. You know, how do you take the pool that you have 
um, and make sure they tick all the boxes that you need to run a successful camp over the summer, but also that they are a good fit to be around children. Cause some people just shouldn't work with kids, <laughs> like just, and, and period, you know, like I, I don't have any children. I love working at boys and girls club because I could just pop in and like hang out for a little while, but I could not do that job every day. Right. And nobody should ever hire me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> And so how do you get, you know, I think it's really challenging right now for, for, for most people in this sector, just to find the right people and then find enough of them, right. To make sure that you're not in your skirting ratios, right. Which is going to be a big thing for camps as well. I would love to talk for a minute about the different types of abuse, which you've touched on a little. So I think when people do think about abuse, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is the physical abuse and now more and more in the know and in the media is, is reports about sexual abuse, but thinking about now, especially with the mental health crisis that we're seeing throughout the world, I don't think we give as much thought to the mental abuse and the emotional abuse. And I can imagine that that's something where it might be more difficult to detect unless you're outright seeing somebody sharing harsh words with another person. But between all those abuses and not saying that one is worse than the other, they're, they're all not good and we don't need any of them, but are you seeing a significant rise or a higher number of cases in one of those areas more than the other? So, you know, we cover sexual abuse misconduct and we also cover emotional and physical abuse misconduct. And by far, we, the most, the majority of the reports that we still get are going to be sexual misconduct. Um, and usually that's pretty easy to kind of figure out like, oh, that is sexual misconduct. Um, you know, there's certainly some gray areas, but mostly you know what it is. Mm-hmm. With emotional and physical abuse, emotional really, physical abuse, you can probably, you can, you can also discern that too, but like emotional abuse is just really hard to detect. Um, and what we're finding is that it's just, it's also harder to investigate mm-hmm. um, because there might be, you know, one dozens of witnesses or, or, or victims and claimants in the process. Um, but it's also, you know, sometimes it could be a matter of perception. Um, sometimes it could be a matter of, you know, trusting yourself to think to like, well, maybe that's okay. Or maybe that's just normal. Like everybody gets talked to that way or, you know, whatever it might be when it's not. Um, so I think that, you know, when you think about emotional abuse, you know, we see it really blatant sometimes online play out, right? It's just people just terrible with each other, like on social media. Um, but you're right. A lot of it is behind closed doors. It might be between two people. Um, it might be, you know, worse for others, just, you know, depending on what their status is on a team. Right. Um, and we're seeing it manifest into other types of, of ailments for, for kids, especially, right. Because, you know, we've seen some pretty horrible cases where, um, severe emotional, um, abuse leads to physical abuse, leads to sexual abuse. Right. Um, and you know, it's just, it's horrific to things that, that people have had to endure, um, often under silence. Right. And you can imagine what that does to your mental health. Um, and so, you know, when we, when we go through and we start investigating cases, you know, we really pay close attention to the mental health and status of um, all those involved, um, whether you are um, accusing someone of sexual misconduct or if you are the accused, right? Um, because it, it, one, we, we pride ourselves on a, on a fair process and we're here to serve athletes, but, you know, it can be, take a, an incredibly emotional toll. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, people consider doing things to themselves that, you know, that are hurtful. And so, you know, I think that when you think about emotional abuse and the, and just the line of, of mental health and wellness, um, it's a fine, it's a fine line. Um, and it's really difficult for adults to handle, let alone kids. Um, but I will say that, you know, it was really nice to see over the last few years that we've had some really high profile athletes in particular come out and say enough, right? Like I love, um, you know, Naomi Osaka was at, I forget which tennis tournament it was, but, you know, she's been very vocal um, about her, her mental health and its importance that she focus on it. Because I think that we're now starting as a society, starting to realize that mental health is just health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just this thing that should be, you know, under cover of darkness, you go into your therapist or, you know, like, ooh, it's, it's not that scary, right? It's just part of 
it's part of life and it's part of, um, you know, how you, how you learn and grow. Um, but it doesn't have to be abusive. Right. And so I right. think there, there is a fine line between that. And, um, I do think that we're, we're getting better at detecting it and we're certainly getting better at talking about it and accepting that it's an issue because we've got all these people coming out. Like I get therapy every week or I've had a therapist for the last 20 years. Like, Oh really? I thought we didn't talk about that. Right. No, it's cool now. <laughs> right. Right. It's trendy. <laughs> yeah. It is though. And I think we have, we have COVID probably to thank for that. <laughs> yes. It's a very good trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. Looking at some of these high profile athletes and especially ones that play on an Olympic level, thinking about Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, you know, when, when she decided not to compete in the past summer Olympics due to her mental health. And then looking, I think, I can't think of her name, but there was another major tennis star who just recently decided to retire mm-hmm. and she's like 25 years old, but it, she's, she's burned out. And I think it's, that's very real. And it's also, I think, what an incredible example of taking mental health very seriously. And like you said, it's not, it's not separate from physical health and emotional health. It's all part of the same package and it's all health. And I think you think about how many young athletes and these, these children and youth that look up to these Olympic athletes, I think that's an incredible example that they're setting. And at the same time, I think it's so unfortunate when we see people reacting harshly to them, like people getting mad about Simone Biles not competing and, and Mm -hmm. kind of putting her down for, for being a wimp essentially. Um, So I'm wondering if there's maybe, if you're seeing sort of a trend as people are more open about going to therapy and, and being more open about their mental health, if you see more of that becoming the norm where people are more embracing of it, and maybe that's within youth organizations and sports teams. Um, But I'm also curious to know your thoughts on how summer camps and how camp staff can, can be more aware of that and can serve as examples of what that looks like to their campers this summer. Yeah. You know, I think that it, it's a, it's a great trend that we're seeing. And I, I do hope that it continues because, you know, the more that we have people coming out and just being open with whatever their mental health struggles might be, successes might be, the more I think that, you know, as a, as a, as a country, we'll be able to grow and just be able to start taking care of ourselves a little bit better, right? Particularly coming out of a pandemic, um, which has been incredibly hard for kids, you know? I mean, they've been locked away just like we have been um, in a really formative part of, of their life, and it can certainly have effects. And so, you know, when you have major athletes, right, like Naomi Osaka, like Simone Biles, come out and say, look, this is enough already. I'm taking this and this is important. They have a lot of kids that look up to them, right? And I think that if my favorite gymnast or my favorite tennis star or my favorite basketball player is is taking this seriously, they're not a wimp. Do you see what they just did out there? Like they're the best. So maybe I can do that too, right? And I think that leading by example, whether you are an, an athlete, a coach, a camp professional, um, is, is how you get through to kids. Right. Um, and I think it's going to be important, especially this summer that, you know, that camps are open about talking about mental health and being ready to support the whole child. Because again, you've got kids who've been, um, you know, secluded for a really long time. This might be their first time out, you know, in the world with, 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 with their peers. Um, or they may have never stopped, right. Depending on like what, what state they're in. Um, And so, you know, so I think it's going to be important for, for camp professionals to, to really take it seriously um, and to really focus in on behavior and interaction between, between kids. Um, because you can see a lot if you just stand back and watch, right? I think that's something that youth development professionals for years um, have, have known, right? It's the, the secret sauce is, right? It's how you connect with kids. Um, but making sure that you're, you're listening to them when they're, when they're talking about this, because, you know, long gone are the days of us just like, oh, we'll just, they'll, they'll get over it. Or it's just teenage angst, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just think about some of the things that I was told when I was like 15 or 16 years old. And I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> we did not know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But now, but now we do, we know we have to do better. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. 
And so listening to them and really prioritizing their mental health um, is going to be, you know, just as important as when, you know, you have kids saying, look, I don't want to be alone with camper X or X person, right? You listen to that, you take that seriously. You got to take everything else seriously too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that the campers are, camp professionals are going to have a, a tough time this year, just like teachers have been having um, those last, you know, year or so and right. just reintegrating kids and the mental health piece has got to be a focus. And so, you know, one of the best things, you know, to, about um, just kind of embracing and kind of strengthening your own mental health and resolve is being outside, right? And that, and that's going to be something that's already built in, right? So all these like fun activities that are going to encourage kids to be themselves, to make friends, to trust, right? And to, and to find those trusted adults that they can talk to. Um, that is that is what makes camp so special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that, you know, camp professionals and, and camps, especially this summer, have this built-in base already that they've been leaning on for a long time, right? They may have to step it up a little bit just because of, um, you know, just the situation that we're in right now and just coming out of, out of COVID. But, you know, I think this is something that camp professionals have probably been preparing for <laughs> for a really long time. Yes, they're ready. <laughs> they're <right>. ready to go. <laughs> Now, with Safe Sport, kind of the two main areas, and um, you can correct me if this is if there's more to this, but kind of two main focuses that you all have is the prevention piece and then the education piece. Thinking about the upcoming summer season and how summer camps can essentially step up their game to be the best that they can be and to have the safest, most fun experience possible, what are ways that they can step up their game in regards to prevention of all these kinds of abuse and also how can they make sure that their staff is well-educated? How can they make sure that they as an entire camper well-educated? How can they help their families and campers prepare? What are ways, maybe some tangible tips that they can put this into action and have the safest, most fun summer yet? You know, I think what's really important, and I think camp probably already have this in place, is that one, you've got to understand what the rules are, right? And some of the rules may have changed from last summer just because of COVID. Uh, maybe they're a little stronger, maybe they're more relaxed. But understanding what the rules are in the beginning is going to be super important. And then making sure that every person who comes to camp knows what those are, right? So whether it is the camp, the new um, camp professional or the person who's been coming here for 10 years or the kids themselves, right? Everybody has to understand that this is what is acceptable and this is what's not. Um, and I think make it, that's probably number one. And I think we, when we think about training, particularly for getting ready for summer, right? We're thinking about first aid and we're thinking about making sure that the, the buildings are right and we've got enough food and all these things, right? That are on your mind, but the training piece cannot go un, undone, right? And so we train on all sorts of things um, and training the, the staff um, and then training parents basically, right? To know what to expect, right? To say, "Mm, that's not quite right. I know that that's not against your policy. So why is this happening? Um, That's going to be super important. Um, You know, when it comes to abuse prevention, I think every camp professional should go through abuse prevention training. Um, We have some great training. Um, Some of it's free, some of it's for cost. Um, But there's also lots of other trainings out there, right? But sexual abuse prevention training is really important um, because you got to be able to recognize it. You got to be able to know how to respond to it. And you definitely know how to need to know how to report it. So I think those are some things that, that going into the camp season, you should certainly be thinking about. The other piece is, you know, how do you make sure that you create the safe environment, right? And comfortable environment for kids to be willing to say, hey, I just saw something that's not quite right. Um, I will never forget when I first started working uh, at the Center for Safe Sport, um, we got a report um, of a girl from a girl on a team. Um, and, you know, she wasn't really sure if she wanted to call us or not. But she was like, look, I just took the Safe Sport training and I know that that's not allowed. So I'm calling you to tell you that this is happening right now. And so when that happens, not only have you gotten someone who's knowledgeable, right? Like, oh, wait, now I know the rules. I know what's not supposed to happen or what's supposed to happen. But you also potentially stopped someone from being hurt, right? That's like the best win ever. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I think making sure that that is just a part of everything that they do when you're coming to camp and not just, and especially if you're like a summer camp that you're there all summer, 
you know, it's not just on the first day, right? It has to be a constant repeating, here's what we do, here's what we don't do, here's why. And then people have to understand and know that there are consequences, right, for actually violating those rules, but also there's benefits of following them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the best advice I could give to a camp um, because, you know, this they've got these little lives in their hands every day um, and we owe it to them, right, to make sure they have the safest, most fun uh, camp experience possible. Right. Absolutely. And that's got to be so empowering to to know that having the courage to report something and to pot- potentially stop something traumatic or, or tragic or, or anything like that from happening And I could just see where that would be a ripple effect and serve as just such a positive example for everybody who's in that area. Absolutely. I would love to hear your thoughts on. So when we think about the joy and the magic that comes with summer camp, sometimes it can feel like that magic is kept to just the summer season. And then kids go home, people go back to their other jobs, they go throughout the rest of the year. And it's kind of like, oh, well, summer camp's gone. But so we think about ways, creative ways to kind of keep the magic of camp and to keep the connections and the all the, the life skills that kids develop while they're at camp. How are little ways that we can keep that spirit going all year long? So I'm very curious to know your thoughts on what are ways that people, whether that is these camp directors, whether it's staff when they leave camp and go back to the quote unquote outside world or these kids and their families, what are ways beyond their camp or their sport experience that they can continue to help support the mission of safe sport and to make prevention and education of abuse something that is not just limited to that one activity or that one summer, but something that similar with the mental health trend, how can, how can we make that the next wave of, of bringing it to light and making sure that this is something that that we can stop this abuse and prevent it from happening. What are, what are ways that we can keep that going all year long? You know, I think it's just things like conversations like this, right. Just to keep it top of mind because it's easy. You know, when I think about like when I first started, like my first job and they gave me like this big stack of books and had to read all this stuff. And there's all these things that I signed that I probably didn't read. (laughs) And it was just like a lot going on. It's a lot thrown at you. And until you use it, it's just stuck somewhere in the back of your head. Maybe you forget it. Maybe you just didn't think it was that important. And I think safety is the same way, right? Where we get all these rules that we've got to abide by, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Make sure you're putting your fires out and, you know, all these things that are happening. And so, but the way that people remember them, the way that they can apply them is just by continuing to talk about them and seeing those things in action. And so if I'm a, a part-time camper, right, or camp professional, I'm going back to my, my day job, right? How does that apply? Because the same rules about being kind to one another, the same rules about just listening um, and noticing when things aren't quite right, and then being and being brave enough, right, to report it, those things are applicable to every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter what job you have. I mean, what matters is that you're you're willing to kind of to notice and stand up for people who may not be able to stand up for themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I would just hope that everybody who goes through any sort of abuse prevention training um, is, is looking at the world in that lens. Right. Like mm, not quite right. And you may not know all the policies that a school may have or that a, a local clubhouse might have or local parks and rec, right? But you do know that mm, things don't look quite right. You do know when you see a 50-year-old adult with a 12-year-old girl um, who's not a parent, maybe there's some questions that need to be asked, right? Um, and so I think that the more that people just are opening their eyes and recognizing these things, um, and then noticing that it's not just a sport either, right? Uh, it applies to just people um, and being able to apply that throughout the year and then telling others, right? Because it's a, it's certainly a ripple effect. That is how you keep that message going. And that's how we ultimately will change culture and not just culture and sport, but just the culture of, 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 of our environment, of, of the entire just kind of ecosystem that, that kids are in all the time. You know, kids don't just do one thing all day. They're at camp, they're at dance practice, they're at school, they're at church, like all these things. And so being able to apply those and making sure that they have safe experiences 
in all of those places, that is what we really will ultimately do. Now, we can't do that alone, right? We need people who are in these spaces to know and understand what education really means and how to apply it. That is how things change. And that's how we keep kids protected all year long. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what is next for safe sport? What do you see coming down the line? Woof, <laughs> loaded question. <laughs> You know, the the center has had a really tremendous five years. Um, You know, we spent the last five years building an organization and growing into what we are today so that we can meet the demand. Um, You know, unfortunately, the demand just keeps rising, right? Mm -hmm. So there's certainly going to be some growth for us um, when it comes to the investigation side of the house. But we are also really focused on creating more easier, accessible educational content and really helping people understand, you know, who we are, what we do and why, uh, and how to prevent uh, and respond and report to a, a report abuse. And so we'll be, we'll be developing um, some really cool educational content um, that's coming out specifically geared towards coaches that I would certainly think is going to be applicable to, to camp counselors, because uh, they certainly serve in that coach mentorship role. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also, you know, we're developing more content around emotional and physical abuse misconduct, because again, it's really hard to identify sometimes. And so giving people the tools to do that. Now, I recognize by doing that, we'll probably get more reports. However, (laughs) that's a good thing. Um, You know, the more people who recognize it, I think is the better. So for us, like that's, that's really high on our, our agenda um, and how we kind of communicate that. And then, you know, it really goes a long way for us to be able to provide that content, not only to, um, to athletes, but also those that interact with them each and every day, whether they're minors or adults. And what are some resources, or I know you mentioned several educational resources, if people are interested in learning more about safe sport and the services that you will offer, whether they are a camp, camp staff or family, or if they're involved with the school, any kind of community, where can people learn more? <laughs> yeah. So the best way is to go to our website. It's uscenterforsafesport.org. Um, and from there, you can get to our educational content. You can read our policies. You can make a report. Um, you can read our new impact report that we just released. Um, so that's really the hub for, for everything. Um, so I would strongly encourage anyone listening just to take a look at the website um, and see what's there for you. Um, lots of interactive resources, lots of free stuff, lots of things to help understand our process, um, which can sometimes be a little bit complicated um, because we want to, one, promote you know, the, the organization in a way that it is helpful and useful to people. Um, but we also want to do it transparently and fairly. Um, so we've got a lot of stuff there. I would certainly have them go to U.S. Center for Awesome. And we'll be sure to provide that link so that our listeners can easily find it. Great. Well, Jaris, is there anything that we have not covered that you would like to touch on? No, I think this has been a great interview. I'm happy chatting with you. I'm looking forward to camp season. Yes, Uh, we all are. (laughs) Yes, but thank you so much for being with us today. This has been such a rich and informative conversation. And I know I have learned a ton and personally just feel excited and more empowered about bringing awareness and shedding light to these issues and knowing, I think it's very encouraging to know that there are organizations and people out there like you that are making such a difference and making, making it, accessible and available to us all so that we can continue to spread the benefits of prevention and education to help tackle and bring it into abuse. So, Therese, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of the Camp Warrior Podcast. If you found this interview valuable and helpful, let us know. You can leave us a comment, subscribe to our show, leave a review, and share it with those who you think would benefit from it as well. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at ACA Camps.